Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Good morning. I want to take many of you back a long time to your school days. Most of us would have been in a situation where at school there were team sports, is that right? Are team sports still allowed these days? I don't know if it's acceptable, you know. I know they play games where they don't score because they don't want someone to win and someone to lose and it all gets really, really complex. But way back when I went to school, we had team sports and in team sports what you would do is you would pick two captains... And then what would the captains do? Yeah. And so you were going to get picked on a team, weren't you? Sooner or later. For some of you, it was much, much later. I I, I mean, I can recall sometimes where the captain said, no, we don't want him anyway. (laughs) Like, we've only got one option left, but we don't want him on our team. The other team can have him even if we've got less numbers. It was sort of like said something about the prowess and the ability of that person who was at the end of the line. But the reality is that's, that's what happened. But inevitably, you didn't want to be the last one, did you? Put your hand up if you wanted to be the last. No one, no one wanted to be last. Why? Because you became conspicuous. Everyone knew you weren't, um, weren't as competent as everyone else. And it, it, it really, really hurt. And my message this morning is aligned with that because, you know, I think there is residual thinking um, that we adopt or, if you like, grab a hold of, and it runs with us all through life. It's, it's sort of like, and, and it comes out from time to time. We push it down, but it comes out. It's like, oh, how come that happened to him, but not to me? And I don't mind, you know, if I'm driving past a guy's pulled over on the side of the road and there's blue lights flashing, I don't think that. I think, no, 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 I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't me. But, but, you know, if you're in a circumstance where somebody gets something for free and you miss out, what do you think? Well, how come he gets it or how come she gets that and not me? There's this part of it, it's, it, it's built into us. I do want to say, you know, Ruth, you're right about Neville selecting that song. And of all the songs Neville selected, that was the only good one. But that probably, <laughs> it's sort of like the hit, we, we won't talk about the hit rate because the hit rate's a whole other, another thing. But <laughs> It's like um, some, of the songs, some of the songs, I think, came from the 70s. And I thought, that's nice, Nev. Nev. Yeah, lovely song. <laughs> but we, were having, we had some fun together anyway. But there's part of us that, that, that gets annoyed or disappointed or upset when something seems to go better for somebody else than it does for us. I don't know about you, but you, you know it's a constant battle where you, where you have to actually address your thinking to make sure your response is appropriate. It, it, it's, it's part of us. We might not like it, but it's part of us. And, and it doesn't just extend to um, possessions. It's about vocation as well. 
How many of you from time to time have seen some tech startup and some guy goes from, you know, a a, a dodgy university student who who looks geeky and dorky and suddenly, you know, he is like, oh, he's, he's only worth 10 billion. He still looks the same, but he's worth $10 billion. How does that happen? You think that's not right. That's not fair. Or it could be relationships. It could be vocation. It could be location. And the reason my message is focused this way, why did Trent and Sarah get to Coffs Harbour and we're all stuck here? It's like, what is it? Clearly we are all resilient enough to handle difficult times, but they're so soft that God has got to put them in a place where they they can cope with what they're going to cope with. 21 days of prayer and fasting, you know, we've been praying and fasting and uh, we're, we're part of the way through, which is great. I want to continue, uh, encourage you to continue to do what it is that you set time aside for. But on um, Wednesday night, I said prayer's only about two things. It's really, it, we, we make it so complex. It's not, it's really simple. It's this. The first is this, to pray, you've got to be in God's presence. You've got to be aware that he's there and he's got to be aware that you're there. As a matter of fact, he's always there. The question is whether we're there or not. I've heard people pray, and I think you're not actually in this prayer. You're just doing what's necessary. You're making a show. And and Jesus had a problem with that with the Pharisees, didn't he? You know, they put on a show when they prayed rather than actually praying. So the the first thing is this, you know, God's got to be there and you've got to be there as well. And the second is this, you've got to be ready to unburden yourself. I may have said it a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure, but the reality is this, when it comes to prayer, do you know what you're actually doing? You're you're simply offloading your burdens to someone who'll take responsibility for them. And, And the way you pray best is when you sincerely care about something or someone. Do you know when someone is in a dire situation you know, James's words about the effectual fervent prayer come into play. If someone's really in pain, then you pray more fervently, don't you? Especially if you care for, if you don't care for them, you probably, oh, well, let's, let's let them go. <laughs> let them enjoy it. <laughs> but if you care about somebody, your prayers take on a sort of an intensity that, that somehow would infer that the way you pray makes a difference to getting an answer or not. When you care, there's an intensity that comes from deep within. It's like, God, just do this, do that. Could have been... Could be, you know, a, a, a parent, it could be a child, it could be a spouse. When something's not going right, you pray with intensity. Could be in a work situation. But the two things are all that's required for prayer. Number one, that you're present with God as you pray. In other words, he's listening and you're actually talking to him. And the second is this, you're prepared to cast your cares on him. You you, you see, and and I'm not speaking about prayer today, but this, what happens is psychologically when you are able to take what burdens you or weighs you down and give it to, and when you're unable to give it to him, there's a weight that moves from you, it changes your demeanour. But not only that, you're entrusting it to someone you know will care carefully. 
for the thing that you're handing to him. And so I want to encourage you as we continue to go through this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, please, as you pray, do those two things. That actually means you probably won't pray for some things because you care less about them. And, 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 you know, sometimes I wonder whether we make a mistake because some people pray religiously about all of these things and some of them they really care about and some of them they feel like they're just doing a duty, like as if it's it's names that somehow that makes the difference. I think, you know... When our hearts in our communication with God, there's something relayed and it prompts him to move. You know, I'll get back to them. I'll get back to my message. Do you know, there's a common mistake I think we all make when we talk about the call of Christ. And that is too often we think that call is reserved for some sort of church activity or for some sort of mission activity. We think that the call of God relates to only a certain number of people and that maybe because you're not in that category that somehow you're a, of, of lesser ilk or something, that somehow you're at the end of the line. I want to say to you today that is simply not true. The call of God is for every man and every woman, each important, each unique It doesn't matter what you do, where you go, or what your vocation. God is calling every single one of us. And so location or vocation, relationships, finances, they're all impacted by the call of God on our lives. And I want to talk to you for a moment about that. But I want to read, first of all, from Luke chapter 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But this is interesting. He, he, so he lays it out. It's very simple. It's going to cost you everything. But then he says this, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started the building and can't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace when, while the enemy is still far away. And so you cannot be, become my disciple without giving up everything you own. When it comes to the call of God, the call of God and discipleship are meshed together. And the call that God uh, has ringing out in, in the world around about us is to every single person, but just because he's calling doesn't mean everyone's responding. 
and our response uh, is commensurate with the outcome. In other words, you know, you, you, you might hear God calling you to do one particular thing and you might respond wholeheartedly in that and there may be some outcome and, and that's great, but you know, God is probably calling you to do more than just one simple thing and I'm going to talk to you for a moment about what it is that he calls us to do. But our response is what's critical. The call is irrevocable. God's always calling. There isn't a point at which he stops. There isn't a point where he thinks, that's it, I'm going to give up on calling that individual. That person may have turned their back on him, gone away and actually worked against him. But it doesn't change the call of God, which is persistent, continual. And we know, you know, the Apostle Paul or Saul, as he was known, he was an enemy of the church, persecuting and and approving of, of the persecution that was taking place, even to the point of murder. And yet God's call on his life continued, it persisted, until there was a point at which Paul or Saul responded and we saw a turnaround in things. And I want to encourage you today, you know, whatever your response has been in the past, it doesn't change the fact that God is still calling. He's still crying out to you. He's still asking you to make room for him because he has got some great things in mind for you to connect with him on that will make a significant difference to your life and the lives of many people around about you. The first thing he calls us to is communion with him. I said before, you know, one of the first things that, 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 that um, we consider as we pray is that there's supposed to be a connection. It's sort of like, I, some of you probably talk to yourself. How many people here talk to, don't put your hands up, oh, <laughs> too many volunteers. <laughs> we assumed that, Campbell, but... Um, <laughs> Oh, did you put your hand up, Campbell? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell everybody. <laughs> but, but you know, some people talk to themselves. Is that right? I say, Ruth, speak up, I can't hear what you're saying. And she says, I wasn't talking to you. I'm thinking, well, who are you talking to then? I was talking to myself. I'm thinking, I just think. I, I just, I don't, I don't verbalise what's going And now, too often, we are guilty of talking to ourselves rather than communing with God. He wants to commune with you, he wants to talk with you, and he wants you to talk to him. 2 Chronicles 7.14, we know the passage, it just says, If my people call by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked way. That's all I want to say. But if you look at that, It's all about what's taking place internally from us to him. And so there's a call to communion, which is is for every single one. There isn't one more special than another. It isn't isn't like you're going to get last in line. If you want to commune with God, he wants to commune with you. All you need to do is respond. There isn't anyone special and sometimes, you know, um, unfortunately it's the world we live in, a testimony seems like someone is special. They're no more special than anyone else, they're just telling their story. But I want you to understand there is no one 
who is somehow favoured above everybody else. God wants to commun- there's a call to communion. The second point is this, he calls us to commit. Matthew 4.19, Jesus walking along, he says, come, follow me, and I will send you to fish for people. There's a call to his mission. And for us, again, it's something that everyone is involved in in various different ways. Don't get mixed up with what, what's known as gift projection. That is where someone has a particular gift and tries to superimpose it on everyone else. Well, if you can't play the drums, there's something wrong with you. Now, of course, usually there's... Anyway, we won't go there about drummers. <laughs> <coughs> But, but the reality is there are some people with a particular gift and, and you think of those specifically who have a real gift of evangelism and so, I don't know about you, but I feel guilty sometimes when I hear some of those people speak and then what they do is they try and superimpose on me the same expectation that, uh, that is their responsibility and I think, man, I wish I could do that but I just can't. And what it does is it takes me down a notch or two or three and I feel guilty like somehow they're superior to me. Don't let people do that to you. Christ has called us all with our different skills, our gifts and our talents and he is eager for us to be involved with him in the mission that he has in mind and he doesn't contravene your personality. He he won't change you in such a way that you will feel uncomfortable with who you really are. He He won't push you to become something that you're not. But you're still called. The third point is this, he calls us to character. And whether we want it or not, he expects of us a certain standard of living. Now, this is not a certain standard that you're expected to jump over to get into his presence, but character is something that he he expects to come from us. What sort of, what do I mean by character? Well, ultimately, if we are Christ followers or his disciples, then the way we conduct ourselves with others ought to reflect the values he has. In Sermon on the Mountain, in particular, Matthew 5 and verse 20 says this, right? Tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's, he's addressing this huge crowd on the Sermon on the Mount and he uses the Pharisees as an example. He says, hey, listen, unless you end up better than this lot, you're in trouble. And what he was meaning when he talks about righteousness, he talks about the way that we conduct ourselves as we go through life. Don't kid yourself. If you, if you become a follower of Christ, you're supposed to leave behind your stealing ways or your philandering ways, or your your judgmental ways. There are things that as followers of, of Christ, we need to leave behind. Why? Because we're called to character, godly character. And, and, and am I saying that we ought to judge one another based on character? You know, as a matter of fact, Jesus actually said something about judging as well, didn't he? We're not to judge one another, but it was a follower of Christ, he is calling me to a place of character and it's a lifelong journey where I continue to address the things the Holy Spirit, not everybody else, but the Holy Spirit addresses. And then finally, he calls us to communities. 
Galatians 2, 1 to 3 says this, and this is uh, Paul relaying something of a story about that, that coincides with Acts 15. He says this, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain, yet not even even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. I haven't got time today to explain all that Paul says in that small passage, but there's a few things here. Number one, he's going to meet with some leaders, those who are, if you like, called to be the leaders in Jerusalem at that particular time. He's taking with him some companions who are the result of his call to the Gentiles. And then he's going to sit down with the leaders of Jerusalem and he's going to discuss what he perceives to be the call that Christ has given to him. And, and, and then he's going to ensure that he, he gets some sort of confirmation that the call that he is receiving is right and appropriate because he, in his mind, you know, he comes from a background where what he was doing was in contrast to what he was previously taught. So what he wants to do is he wants to sit down and say, this is what I feel God's telling me to do, Um, yet I know it sits almost in opposition to what I was brought up to do. And so there's this call that Paul had to communities, and the reality is this for all of us. There's a call to community and to communities. It's a location-based thing for us at times as well. And, and, you know, I'm saying all of that to say this. We don't understand all of these things. We can understand a call to communion. We can understand a call to commit to mission. We can understand a call to commit to character, but when uh, when it comes to a call to commit to a community, we don't know why exactly God has one person go one way and one person go another. We don't know why God says to one person, I want you in this location, and why another person is located in this particular circumstance. We do know that as a result of a call to a community that that it can bring about challenge and and suffering. It it, it, It can be super difficult or for others it's like utopia, Coffs Harbour. (laughs) Now, we don't understand why that is, but what we do know is our responsibility is not to envy, but to obey. And so, whatever your circumstance, I mean, the first three are more important than the last one, because the last one will make itself known very, very clearly. The first three are your response. The final one is inevitable if the first three become well addressed. And you know, today we're going to be saying farewell to Trent and Sarah in a few moments. And some of you say, why are they leaving? What's the problem? They had an argument with you? Yes, they've had many arguments. Um, Just want to tell you that. Uh, We've had lots of harsh discussions. Um, That's just part of discipleship. Um, do we always agree on everything? No, we don't. And, and some of you are getting uncomfortable, me saying this. You, you, the world we live in, 
means we're full of different people with different opinions. But that's not the reason Trent and Sarah are leaving. They're leaving because they feel called by God to a community. Now, the call of God is a mystery in which we all play a part. And whether you like this or not, you're a bit player in the world's economy. You're a small pawn in the scheme of the world. There's, you know, about 7 billion people and you're one person. And God is the master planner and he has in mind a a gazillion different things. And all he asks you to do is to respond to him so he can might so that he might be able to put you where it is that he thinks is the best fit for you. And he does that with your personality, your preferences, your desires all in mind, so that he can see the outcome that he wants in that particular circumstance, but also through your life. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 and 12, for I know the plans I have for you. Then you will pray. In other words, God has got everything worked out. All he wants is for you to response. You know, God wants you to know him afresh. Jess said it well at the start. I'm saying it well now at the finish. God wants you to respond to him, to hear his voice, respond to his call in whatever area it is in your life so that you can be uh, the beneficiary of having a favoured position with your heavenly father and so that he can do in and through you, all that he desires. Will you stand together with me? I'm going to just simply lead us in prayer. Father, I thank you today for your call. It's a call generally and it's a call specifically. It's a call to relationship with you. It's a call to commitment to you. It's a call to mission. It's a, it's a call to character, but it's also a call to communities. And my prayer is that, Father, we would carefully count the cost, that when you speak to us, when we have an inkling of what it is that you're saying, that we would weigh it up and that we would step carefully forward so that you're exalted, so that we're able to act in obedience and so people are blessed as a result. Father, our desire is simply to be a blessing to those that you've called us to minister to and ask that we could do that, whether in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighbourhoods or wherever it might be, in the way that you've designed for us to do it, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.